Business owners are cluing into the fact that Bitcoin is here to stay, but its adoption is only about where internet adoption was in the mid-90s. In other words, there's still a ton of upside and opportunity. If you want to learn how other business owners and entrepreneurs are using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses so that you can too, stick around at the end of this episode to hear the trailer for my newest podcast, Business Bitcoinization. And now, on to today's episode. You're listening to the Life as Leadership podcast. Are you looking for motivation and encouragement on your path to becoming a better leader? If so, you've come to the right place. Keep listening to find a community of leaders committed to learning and taking action to improve their world. The Life as Leadership podcast, where leaders gather to grow together. Here's your host, Josh Friedemann. If you're in a spot right now, especially in your leadership role, where you feel like you're not quite able to communicate effectively your vision to the people that you're leading, or maybe you don't quite have the clarity that you want as far as how what you're doing is different than what other people are doing, whether it's on your team, whether it's in your business or anywhere else. If any of that resonates with you today, then I encourage you to take a close listen to this episode because our guest today is going to be talking about how you can differentiate and reposition yourself so that you can more effectively have the impact that you want to have in the lives of the people around you. We'll get to a little bit more about her in just a second, but first... Do you want to accelerate your leadership success? There's a way you can do that for free, and it's called the MindScan. This assessment is an inventory based on the Nobel-nominated Hartman Value Profile, and it measures your capacity to make value judgments concerning you and the world around you. Instead of simply understanding how you behave, it objectively measures why you behave the way you do. Align your thinking strengths with your leadership goals by applying to take the MindScan today. All you need to do is apply by emailing community at lifeasleadership.com. You'll get a unique link and the opportunity to review your results. Both the assessment and review call are totally free. If you want to understand the how and why of your decision making, in order to more quickly get the results you want, the mind scan can be your next step to success. Once again, community at lifeasleadership.com. Now, on to today's interview. Our guest today is the CEO and founder of The Repositioning Expert. She's a marketing strategist who helps professional service companies change their messaging to attract more decision makers. In her former life, she was an award-winning marketer at companies such as Pepsi, Pizza Hut, Frito-Lay, Playtex, and Bic Incorporated for 20 years. Now she's a marketing consultant. She's the author of Gentle Marketing, A Gentle Way to Attract Loads of Clients and How to Win Friends the Way Apple Wins Customers. She's also a regularly featured expert on major television networks such as ABC, NBC, CBS, and Fox, as well as a popular speaker at international conferences. Here is Chala Dinkoy. Chala, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I am so excited during COVID. So I like to start off every interview with a few questions that help us to get to know you better as a leader and give us some insight for our own lives. Are you ready for these? I am ready. What is some lesson, saying, or experience that continues to influence your leadership to this day? Considering for 18 years, I launched new products when I worked at all those companies that you named, Pepsi, Pizza Hut, Frito-Lay, we'd launch, you know, at least seven new line extensions every year. The lesson that I learned working for those large companies and doing that was you have to be different. And that's what I teach now. If you go onto my website, it says differentiate. So that to me is the biggest lesson. Use three descriptors to finish this sentence. A leader is... 
the thought leader differentiated and somebody who stands for something. What is a question that leaders should be asking either themselves or others? They should be asking, what problem do I solve? What is a book that you would recommend to leaders? My all-time favorite is The Speed of Trust by Stephen Covey. The Speed of Trust is my favorite because that's what I, I talk about and I teach all the time is if you're a thought leader and if your messaging is all about somebody else's problem, then the speed of trust is accelerated because you're talking about their pain and you frame yourself as an expert and a thought leader about their pain. So if they can hear the words that they use to describe their own pain, then the speed of trust goes up and then the speed of transaction and the size of transaction goes up. If you could get every listener to start doing something this week to help them be a better leader, what would that thing be? It would be to be different, to differentiate and to look at how you can differentiate based on the biggest problem that you can solve with your target audience. And finally, we have our arbitrary but insightful question, which is this. As a general life principle, is it better to ask why or why not? So I had originally said why not, but I was listening to your podcast and I found like a couple of people were saying the same thing. So I said, oh, I'm going to be different. I guess, you know, why? Because um, why are people choosing this? Why are people doing this? Why are when? you know, a leader makes a decision, I think 100% of, of the decision needs to be based on what the market is wanting. And when you're asking why are people behaving a certain way, then you're, you're less concerned about what you think and more concerned about what they're thinking. So I love that question of why. Now, Chala, we are here today to talk about you and the work that you do, and I'd love to hear about the repositioning expert. Obviously, you've already talked about differentiation. What is it that you do, and what is it that you mean when you're talking about repositioning? So I'll, I'll um, give you an example. Did you know that three out of four business owners, when they introduce themselves with their elevator pitch, never get asked for a card or a meeting? What I do is I fix what they're saying in their elevator pitch so that every hello turns into a, can we meet? Hmm. And the way that I help companies do that is the way that, you know, my story developed. When I left corporate world, I was a marketing strategist. So when I positioned myself as a marketing strategist, I was starving, Josh. <laughs> I didn't, there's like um, so many coaches out there. And um, I went and I certified with the ICF and they were starving too. So after I repositioned into a little bit more focused niche, then I became the niching coach because I was helping coaches, consultants, and speakers figure out what is their niche so that they can be differentiated. And then my business started to move a little bit. And then I super niched into elevator pitches and I was asked to speak at 14 conferences last year in 12 months and had my biggest year. So the business blew up. Wow. Like it just, you know, super accelerated. And the reason for that is because the more niched you get, the more differentiated you become. What happens when you find a group of people that you're looking to work with, but it seems like they're not able to pay you for that service. I was talking with a coach just yesterday who was looking to expand her business. And one of the things she was asking me was, how do I work on my messaging so that I'm reaching the people who can pay? Because the people I'm looking to help are those who are down and out and they're not able to pay. So I think it's not just a one person struggle here. I think this is something that a lot of people are probably feeling. But how do you begin to think about a situation like that? 
I love that question because in the, especially in the coaching community, it's the number one thing that comes up because, and here, I'll give you an example. I met a coach through that community and uh, she was a grief coach and it's because her mother had died horribly and she had had no support around it. So she decided to use her, you know, certification towards the niche of grief coaching. But after two years of, again, starving and bartering and getting nowhere, she discovered that um, grief coaching was provided for free by hospices, hospitals, and churches. And nobody was willing to pay her anywhere between $200 and $300 a month to work with her. And the reason why so many coaches struggle with trying to help people who can't afford to pay them, one is because they are trying to heal their own wounds inside of themselves. So that, you know, that that woman, the grief coach, that was a wound inside of her when she couldn't find an outlet and a, and a, a solution and she needed help. The other part of this is, so that's like all mindset stuff, is they need to heal their own wound and a business is not going to do that. So the second part is that they haven't done a strategic research about who to target. And that's what I teach is heart, which is fit for you, your your personality and background, what you want to do is only 30% of what we consider when we pick a niche. The other two things that we consider is can they pay us what we want? And then are there enough of them in that niche? Are there enough humans willing to pay that much in that niche? Is it possible to have someone else paying for it? For instance, maybe the individual doesn't pay for it, but getting connected to another organization or, or someone who can, who can pay you on their behalf. Is that a possibility? Of course, that's a possibility. But here's the, here's the catch. When you're selling to a corporation, you have to speak to the corporation's pain, not to the worker's pain. The pain and the purse, as we call them, have very different outlooks. And we made this mistake, like clients have made this mistake. They would go out and survey a whole bunch of IT professionals and come up with, you know, we're burnt out and there's bad management and there's no, you know, time management to help us. And then they would take that and go and do a presentation to the decision makers to sell them a coaching program. And they would bomb so badly because the decision makers, their pain is completely different. Maybe the decision makers can't meet payroll. Maybe the decision makers can't grow, or maybe the decision makers are losing clients because they can't meet deadlines. So if you message to the buyers, the check signers pain, then you can sell it. And that's the problem is most people, most coaches, when they're messaging in their marketing or selling based on what they think, they haven't done the strategic work to do the outreach to talk to the decision maker who's going to sign the check. One thing that I'd like to go to a little bit is is identifying the right people who can pay and also whether or not there are enough people. And then I'd like to get to what can this look like for people other than coaches? Because most of the audience, they're not coaches necessarily, but I think this is something that can be helpful for anyone. So first of all, how do you begin to look to find if there are enough people out there who have the need and there are people who can actually pay for whatever your service or product is. 
So let me talk about, give you an example to take you through that. An IT support company uh, became my client. And, you know, IT support companies are a dime a dozen. When you ask someone what they do for a living, if they say, I, uh, you know, work for an IT support company or I own an IT support company, people's eyes roll to the back. Like, it's just so undifferentiated. It's so boring, right? And what we did is we super niched them into a company called On Hold Rescue for for healthcare call centers where they reduced wait times on the phone, which is like such a super niche, right? How did we come up with that? Well, at no point did I or the client say, I think this is a good niche, but it emerged from the market. And the way we do that is, um, of course, that's the process that I sell is, but I'll give you the top lines is first we blue sky every single different industry, interest group, and pain point that we can serve with our capabilities. And then we score them based on the three criteria that I talked about, which was access, funds, and fit for us. So the heart piece. And then, you know, they're weighted, like equally weighted 30% each. Whatever emerges, the top three industries, interest groups, and pain points, we put them into a research And then in the research, we systematically ask them the same questions the same way and check with actual human prospects in those buckets whether our assumptions around those pain points and how expensive those pain points are and what they would pay for it and how accessible they are is valid. And then out of that emerges, and if if our assumptions are wrong, then we ask an open-ended, well, if none of these um, are relevant, then what is a very costly and persistent pain point that you think we can solve? And then out of that data, that comes back and then together with the client, we put our heads together and then we formulate a super niche and then a strategy, a marketing and business strategy around that super niche. And that's how that came out. If there are people who are listening right now who are wondering what are the best easy first steps for me to just kind of test the waters for myself to do something like this, what would be some of your top recommendations? Well, first do the blue sky that I talked about, which is like list every single industry and interest group. And interest groups are if you're selling B2C or if it, or for example, my niche is diversity businesses, which means women owned African-American owned. So I speak at all the diversity conferences. So that's an interest, right? So find an interest group or an industry and make a whole huge list of every single problem that you can solve for them. Then score them, you know, on a scale of one to 10 for the three criteria that I mentioned, which is the dollar potential fit for you and the access to the decision maker check signer. And then see which emerges out of the whole list and then go and talk to at least five to 15 of each group of prospects. And and prospects, they can't be existing clients because you really want this to turn into like a sales exercise at the end of the day. And so many of my clients turn prospects into sales through just asking this information. Because really when you're talking about pain and you're in front of the person in pain and you can solve that pain, it's all magic. It just turns into a sale by itself. In that case, when you're reaching out to prospects, are those people that you would identify and then um, 
essentially ask them out to a lunch or something like that? Would you recommend holding a, an event? What What is the best way to get in contact with those people so that you can really ask them those questions and get clear on their perspective? Oh, we just call them. And it's it has to be through somebody you know. It cannot be cold. It is never, ever, ever cold. It has to be someone you knew in the past life or that you're connected through an association or that you can ask for an introduction. It is never, ever cold, but we just call them, especially now. Especially now I have lots of students in my online program and they're finding that a lot of people are very receptive to phone calls. Now, would you say that your response on cold calls there is your general perspective on cold calls, that those are a thing of the past. I hear different things. Different people think that cold calls are still a great tool. Other people say that they are no longer a relevant mechanism for selling and getting in contact with the right people. You know, (laughs) I used to sell cemetery property on the phone when I was a teenager. So my first job was cold calling and I was selling freaking cemetery property. So, (laughs) you know, like I know cold calling and I'm not against it at all, but I'm against the way that it's being done most of the time. There are absolute great ways to warm it up and to put hooks into the call. And, you know, when you can give people value within 30 seconds of saying hello or within just a voicemail and it turns into a meeting, there's no better way. So to me, a a phone call is really no different than a sales email. And I teach a lot about messaging and and sticky emails that actually get you a meeting. Could you share a little bit about your book, Gentle Marketing? Yeah, I mean, we talk, gentle marketing is all about people chasing you instead of you chasing them, right? And to me, marketing is anything that you do until you hear the question, how much is it to work with you? That's it. Really, anything you do until then is called marketing. Anything you do after that question is called selling. And uh, in gentle marketing, I talk all about the niching and how to find the right target. And I talk about how to become an expert in that one pain point. And we talk about how to message based on pain because 70% of human beings purchase based on pain. And then we talk about how to put it all together into a cohesive, very, very succinct marketing plan so that, you know, it takes seven to 12 touches before somebody will buy from you. So if you're in their same world within that same industry or interest group, you're like hitting them seven to 12 times very quickly. But if you are spread out over so many different industries, they may not see you again for a whole year. So that's all the stuff that I teach in both my programs and in the book. And it's all what's going to make people chase you because they know they're in pain. They see that you're an expert in that pain. Why wouldn't they want to talk to you? Now, when it comes to repositioning, would you say that in the next you know, six months to a year, companies really need to be refocusing no matter where they are on repositioning so that they can be more attractive to both their clients and prospects? Oh, yeah. You know, I just I, before the call, I was mentioning to you that I was doing a live and I was actually presenting some findings from the McKinsey COVID B2B Decision Maker Pulse that was just done in April. And sadly, 60% of B2B U.S. companies are going to decrease their marketing spend. It's also crazy that um, 96% of B2B corporations 
have changed their sales model and 73% have increased the online web support and 50% increased their e-commerce where there's no sales rep. So they're completely taking and the mobile app self-ordering from the actual, like the supplier website has gone up 254%, (laughs) which is like unbelievable, right? So the sales person is almost like sales rep is dead. It's like, I'm, I'm, I'm exaggerating, of course, right? I don't want to get hate mail, but um, so the the importance of the message and repositioning, not just how you're, you're go to market, but also what you're saying to be more relevant in a reduced spend pool is crucial, crucial to survival. And again, in the same study, it says half, 50% are optimistic of businesses or optimistic about the economy. But when they asked them two weeks ago, it was 55%. So it's declining. The confidence is declining, which is scary. So the repositioning is crucial to be more relevant. So and I'll give you an example. When I worked with a translation company who worked with like governments and agencies and all industries, and they were already crushing it, but they were worried about, you know, losing the government contract. And how many contracts have been lost during COVID? So many, right? So th- the problem was I, she was like really worried about diversifying from the governments. So then when we did the research, we found out that 75% of the world speaks a language other than English, obviously. And so they became the other language translators, so the other languages were like Punjabi or Cantonese because they did it faster. Like they did an, a document in a week that their competitors did in a month. So they became the translation company that translated other languages. So that, do you see how they had to reshift and reposition? I'll give you another example. An ad agency who did strategy and design, we repositioned them to just serve food service manufacturers and to just do online marketing, online leads. So we repositioned them into digital marketers for food service manufacturers. And so their messaging went from, we're an ad agency who does strategy and design to we help get leads online for food service manufacturers 10 times faster than your sales staff because it's online. So those are the kinds of message repositioning and and like whole business repositioning that I think needs to happen to be sharper in the new economy. I mean, it was relevant before, but now it's critical. Yeah, a lot of those things that maybe were important before, a light's been shined on the importance of actually doing them. And now companies and organizations are forced to be thinking in those ways. Now, before we finish up, I want to make sure our listeners know about the free gift that you are able to give to them, that you're wanting to help them out as they are looking to maybe consider repositioning themselves. Could you talk about that for just a second? Yeah, I'd love to give you the book, you know, the uh, gentle marketing book as well for anybody who is looking for help, you know, actively looking for help in this. Um, If you go to my website, repositioner.com slash gift, then you'll be able to book a call, one-on-one call, a half-hour call, so that we can talk about whether, you know, repositioning and super niching is the right way for you to grow and is the right way for you to survive and thrive. And it's really simple. All you have to do is put in your name, email address, and that's it. So Chala, are there any things that you would like to finish with today to either kind of re-emphasize from our conversation or maybe something we didn't quite get a chance to cover in today's interview? 
I just want to give hope to everyone because I realize it's a dismal time. I mean, I know it's not, you know, the best of times and we'll remember this forever and ever, but I really want to give people hope that it's people are still buying. Things are still happening. You can still make a difference and you can reinvent yourself very quickly to be able to, and and the quickly part is you need help. So get the help, you know, defer your mortgage, whatever it is that you need to do. Because I've had a lot of people use their, um, you know, extra funding, the government funding to hire me during this time, which is so, so interesting, right? Because they, they see the need to do this quickly. You have to pivot quickly. So if you're stuck and you're wondering and you're scared, I want to give you hope. It's entirely possible within two weeks of doing this research for us to get you positioned, repositioned, super niched, and then calling to people and messaging to people the way that you're supposed to be. And the good news from all this research from McKinsey is that B2B buyers are looking for you, but they're just not looking for you, you know, in the ways that in the conferences, the networking or by phone, they're looking for you online. And it's so critical that you get your message to them and in the right way. All right. And Chala, we've already talked about where people can go to get your free gift, but could you just reiterate that one more time and then give them any other ways to get in contact with you if they want to do that? Sure. I mean, repositioner.com is my website. So you would go to repositioner.com slash gift and that's where you can claim your free book and then you can book a call with me if you think this is the right way for you to go. All right, Chala, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much, Josh. Remember to go to repositioner.com slash gift if you want to take advantage of Chala's offer. Once again, that's repositioner.com slash gift. Now, let's go ahead and go to today's three key takeaways. The first one is this. A business will not heal your wounds. And I encourage you to keep this in mind for anything that you do. If you're trying to help other people because of some need that you have, maybe go ahead and focus on that need first, and then you're going to be able to help other people more effectively. But don't try to start something when really what you're needing to do is to work on yourself. You will be much more effective for other people when you're able to help them and their needs rather than helping your own needs. And that sounds obvious when you say it, but it's a good reminder anytime you're looking at a new venture or a new challenge. The second key takeaway is this. The pain and purse have very different outlooks. So what you need to do is be very aware of who you are messaging to. If you're trying to help someone who has some sort of pain point, but you're trying to market or you're trying to reach them through someone else, be sure that that someone else sees the value of what you're doing. And this works obviously very well in the business world, but I encourage you if you're in a nonprofit and you're trying to help someone, be sure when you're trying to help that person, if you have to go through other avenues, be sure that the other people, the gatekeeper, so to speak, are able to see how what you're doing is going to help them as well. And the third key takeaway is this, identify the people that you can serve. I know that's going to sound a little bit obvious, but if you are able to really get very clear on who you can serve, including the people that you have access to, including the people that are a good fit for you and you are a good fit for them, and if you're a business, including the people who have the ability to pay you for what you're doing, that is going to really help you get clear on who you can focus on, which will help you as you're trying to reach them and communicate to them how you are going to be the best fit for them. 
So I hope you'll join us for our first episode for next week because we have the co-founder of Square, which I'm guessing most of you know what Square is, but if not, it's the $35 billion financial services company that really revolutionized how merchant services for smaller businesses works. And they were able to succeed when Amazon went up against them. And so we're talking about what innovation looks like and how even as a quote-unquote little guy, you'll be able to be successful against larger businesses by being innovative. He's going to give you some great insight, and I can guarantee that you'll pick something up that you can use in your own leadership. I hope you'll join us then, and until then, keep living and leading well. Hey, thanks for checking out this trailer for the Business Bitcoinization Show. My name is Josh Friedemann, and I'll be with you each episode interviewing business owners about how they're using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses. You might be wondering about the name, and I'll get to that in just a second. But first, let me tell you a little bit more about the show and who it's for. Unless you've lived under a rock for the last decade, you've heard of Bitcoin by now. And if you're like me, you heard about it a while ago, but didn't do anything about it until the last couple of years. Then one day, for whatever reason, it finally clicks. And after that, you enter the Bitcoin rabbit hole, as they say. And the deeper you get, the more you see the value of Bitcoin. But you know, maybe you're not there yet. Maybe you don't know much about Bitcoin, but are interested in learning more. Either way, this show can help you. Each episode will introduce you to an executive or entrepreneur who's using Bitcoin, the hardest money on planet Earth, to improve their life and their business. So, what's with the name? Well, it's a play on the term hyper-Bitcoinization, which is used to describe the eventual rapid adoption of Bitcoin as other currencies get weaker and weaker in relation to it. When you compare a seemingly never-ending supply of dollars to a hard cap of 21 million Bitcoin that will ever exist, it feels like only a matter of time until hyper-Bitcoinization happens. The good news is we have the opportunity to be on the front lines of creating a new and frankly better system. Whether you're already sold on Bitcoin and it feels like I'm preaching to the choir, or you're curious to learn more, business Bitcoinization will help you understand how you and your business can be prepared to take advantage of the massive productivity and wealth that Bitcoin will enable. If business Bitcoinization sounds like a show for you, go ahead and subscribe. Obviously, you can subscribe in whatever podcast app you're using right now or go to www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. Once again, that's www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. I'm looking forward to sharing more soon. And until then, keep living and leading well.